You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse and along with our producer Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and once again good morning to our listeners. How have you been? It feels um well, it's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, it's been three weeks, but, almost a uh, month. Yes, but I've been uh, keeping busy uh, traveling back and forth uh, on occasion to our Montreal studio. Had to deal with some things there, but things here at the studio are, are moving. I haven't. I just came into the studio just before the show, so I haven't had a chance to talk to you. But uh, of course, I'm, we had our Thanksgiving weekend. Lovely. So was yours was, nice? Yes, I had actually. I had family from Montreal visit, and my sister and my cousin. Uh, well, we've got family coming from from the from the UK. They're all here, nice. and uh, soon enough, we'll all be making our way to New York. Oh, very nice for the week. So very, I'm looking forward to that too. Big turkey dinner. I actually had a roast lamb for dinner. Really? Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. We yeah. had a turkey dinner. We have ours up north. It was a real, we got home from Italy uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I can't quick remember. turnaround. Very in quick. That sense, yeah. And uh, I told everyone that they had to sort of be on their game and have things prepared. But we had a turkey dinner. It's funny, we we're sitting around the, the table at Thanksgiving and uh, the kids and everyone was saying how much they enjoy turkey dinner at Thanksgiving as opposed to Christmas, and we usually have Christmas dinner as the same idea. Right. But uh, Thanksgiving is just so nice. It's just all about being together and, and the cooking and the meal. It is. It, it's it's a stripped-away Christmas. Exactly. It's kind of like a, a precursor to what's going to happen in terms of getting everybody in that kind of... In the mode. T- together mode and... and Building up to Christmas, it's 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 nice. Oh, there's so much of a build up around Christmas. It's so busy, and you're trying to get everything done and accomplished. Thanksgiving is just coming together, making sure everything's there for your meal, and sitting and enjoying it. So it really was nice. The weekend was kind of nice. It kind of rained a little bit. It was kind of cool. We have a a golf tournament on Sunday mornings with uh, just the family, and it was quite chilly. So, but uh, dinner was great and. Happy to be home. We had a wonderful trip in Italy. Learned a lot. Learned a lot about ourselves. Did My, you did you pick up any more Italian? I'm not sure. Yeah, sure. actually, I I did I did pretty well. And well. yeah, it's uh, I would need a lot more experience there. But my husband speaks Italian, so in in a pinch, we uh, you know we could get. I don't know how someone would do. We went to we concentrated in the small towns. We didn't except for Milan mm-hmm. at the very end. We stayed in the small towns. So with without him able to speak the language, it would have been. Very difficult, but uh, we did some cooking classes and we did uh, some biking around oil, uh, uh, olive oil, olive tree patches. It was just wonderful. It was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And uh, but glad to be home. Three weeks was definitely enough. 
I'm glad to see you too. Def- oh, thanks, Alex. Definitely enough. So our show today, after three weeks, is live. And our phone number is 416-245-1534. You can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Health Hub RMC for all three of those social media sites. And you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And again, thank you so much um, for the emails while I was away. We are getting lots of people who are interested in different types of shows, and we are actually getting guests who are approaching us with ideas for shows. So it's really coming together nicely. What are we, Alex, about a, a year and a half into this? I think we're on show 78. It feels that way. I think, yeah. I think we're approaching 80 for sure. Yes. Yeah. And it's so it's really come along quickly. You know, in the history of podcasts, it's, it's doing quite well. And uh, the radio show, of course, is, is generating a lot of interest. So thank you so much. We, we do very much value um, uh, your input. So you can subscribe to our podcast. Every live radio show and every taped radio show, in fact, is changed over into a podcast by Alex here. And we are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any of your podcast uh, platforms. You can also find our podcasts on the Radio Maria website, which is www.radiomaria.ca. And you can find them on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And again, if you like what you hear, uh, please leave us a comment. It always helps to promote our guests and to promote the show um, and we do appreciate your feedback so all of the three shows while I was away are up The Biologics Reigniting the Human Cellular Regeneration with Ira Pastor Why Do We Sleep with Dr. Edgar, Edgar Garcia Rill and Preconception Care with Dr. Rebecca Jenis they are all up and ready for you to listen to so please go ahead uh, and, and take a listen to and I uh, mentioned to Alex just before the show um, especially with the preconception care, the music is just spot on in that podcast. I love it. I was really, uh, really happy to hear the music in that one. So very, very good, Alex. Nice job. Thank you. So today we are going to be talking about the ocular biome. And uh, with the public, the publicity before the show, we've had, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, sort of chime in and saying, hey, this could be interesting. Never heard of the ocular biome. And, uh, you know, that's what we try and do here on the show is give you interesting things, new things for you to think about and, and put into your tool belt as you're trying to become a healthier, happier person. And this is a fascinating conversation. We talk a lot about gut health here. We talk about the microbiome. We have not yet talked talked about the, the, the biome of the eye. So the ocular biome is going to be a great conversation. So, so stay uh, with us through all of that. And since we are talking about the ocular biome and the eye, I thought that uh, as a precursor to introducing Dr. Fishman to you, I would give you some fun facts about our eyes. So here we go. I think I've got 10 listed here, so I will try and get through them, not take up too much of our time, Alex. But the average blink lasts for about one-tenth of a second. Newborns do not produce tears. They cry and they make the noise of crying, but they do not have the tears uh, as they cry. So I don't know if you classify that as crying or making a noise, but they do not produce any tears until they are between 14, 4 and 13 weeks old. You blink about 12 times per minute. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. That you'll be, every time you blink, you'll be counting. Um, and some people are born with two differently colored eyes, and this condition is called heterochromia. So that's very interesting, some blue, some brown eyes. Out of all the muscles in your body, the muscles that control your eyes are the most active. I thought that was quite interesting. Again, you know, when you think about it and you start thinking about your eyes and how you blink and you look around, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess the fact that you're blinking 12, every 12 seconds, that kind of adds up. 
It does. Using the muscle, for sure. Actually, yes, that's very, very true. I never thought of that. I was thinking more the movement of the eye, but the blinking, too. Um, And this is a fun one that I came across. It's something that I I thought was actually wrong. But uh, you can sneeze with your eyes opened, and you won't blow out your eyeballs. So I I always thought that, uh, I think naturally or innately, we close our eyes as the nerve from the Mm -hmm. nose goes up to the eye. But in fact, I think, well, I've... found this out that if you really focus hard and you can, you know that sneeze is coming you actually can sneeze with your eyes open so it is possible there you go humans can see more shades of green than any other color the world's most common eye color is what do you know what that might be alex a color uh blue maybe nope brown all right brown is the most common eye color and this, I thought, actually was interesting about this bulleted. When we are attracted to someone, our pupils dilate as much as 45%. Aha! So, your telltale sign. And our eyebrows and our eyelashes protect our eyes. The tiny hairs keep dirt, sweat, water, and other wanted debris out of the way. So, they have a function. Everything in our body has a function. When people pluck their eyebrows down to nothing and draw them in, I, it bothers me. You know, this, these are important things. They protect your eye, um, your eyebrows, your eyelashes. Your eyelashes are thicker than your, 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 eye, your top eyelashes are thicker than your bottom eyelashes. And you, we lose a lot of eyelashes. They, they fall out and they regrow quite frequently. So there you go. Some fun facts about the eye. So you can take those home with you. And uh, we will now press on to every, our guest. Every time now that I look in the mirror, I'm going to be thinking about this very conversation. Yeah. It's, Thank and, you. You know, and then Lots people, of people who are listening, yeah. uh, you, you know, if they see someone they know and all of a sudden the pupils dial, they ah, I know they like me. There yeah. you go. Fun yeah. facts. Fun facts. Thanks for those. No problem. Our guest today is Dr. Harvey Fishman. Dr. Fishman, re- Dr. Fishman received a Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry and his PhD in physical analytical chemistry at Stanford, working in the areas of lasers, microfluidics and neuroscience. After his PhD, Dr. Fishman went on to earn his MD from Stanford and conducted postdoctoral research in neurobiology, working in the field of optic nerve regeneration. After completing a medical internship in San Francisco, Dr. Fishman joined Stanford Ophthalmology to become the founder and director of Ophthalmic Tissue Engineering Laboratory, where he was awarded one of the first BioX grants for his works on implantable artificial retina prosthesis. After completing his residency training in advanced ocular surgery and medical treatment for eye disease at Stanford, Dr. Fishman started his own concierge ophthalmology practice in Palo Alto, where he conducts both basic science and clinical research in ocular surface disease and novel diagnostics for dry eye, cancer detection, and the ocular biome. Dr. Fishman has a special interest in digital health and has co-founded three companies in tele-ophthalmology. Dr. Fishman has co-authored 34 peer-reviewed publications, 11 U.S. patents, and his research has been highlighted in Scientific America, The Economist, JAMA, Technology Review, and MIT Enterprise, and recently in Ophthalmology Times. Our learning points today is, what is the ocular biome? How can we improve our health of the ocular biome? And what are symptoms of an unhealthy ocular biome? So this and many, many more things will be discussed when we get back from our break. I don't want to hear anymore. Teach me to listen. I don't want to see anymore. 
Give me a vision That you could move this heart To be set apart I don't need to recognize The man in the mirror And I don't want to trade your plan For something familiar I can't waste a day I can't stay the same I wanna be different I wanna be changed Till all of me is gone And all that remains Is a fire so bright The whole world can see That there's something different So come and be different In me And I don't want to spend my life stuck in a pattern And I don't want to gain this world but lose what matters So I'm giving up everything because I want to be different I want to be changed till all of me is gone And all that Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show is live today. If you'd like to call in and ask questions of our guest, Dr. Fishman, Alex, or myself, our number is 416 245 1534. You can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Health Hub RMC. If you have questions, we will be able to take them. And uh, again, email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions about the show. Good morning, Dr. Fishman. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me this morning. Well, thank you for taking the time. We always appreciate, uh, you know, it's an hour of your time and we appreciate very much uh, you doing this for us. It's such a fascinating topic and... um, I'm I'm very you know into gut health and when I when I saw came across you and the ocular biome I thought how fascinating um, you know I'm sure that most of us don't have any concept of what you're speaking of so how did you get involved in in this uh, area of study? This is kind of a funny story because my background, as you uh, mentioned earlier, was 
essentially based in physical chemistry, microanalytic surface detection, and different, you know, nerdy physical chemistry sorts of things. And so I really got interested in this because um, a couple of years ago, I became very fascinated by what was going on with my dry eye patients and what happened when they experienced um, exacerbations, which were almost always associated with some sort of a gut-related issue, whether it's a diet, dietary change, or some, in some cases, very stressful times in their life. So I knew that there had to be some connection between the gut and the eye and the, and the ocular uh, microbiome and so forth. And so what happened is I I just kind of worked in this area just from a clinical standpoint, seeing patients. And recently I got involved in um, a startup or kind of a venture where we're looking at the cancers on people's eyes. And it turns out that some of the genetic techniques in cancer biology uh, to detect cancers on the eyes are actually really interesting and actually can be applied to the same area as, uh, the, as trying to determine the bacteria on people's um, eye and in their eyes. And so that's sort of what got me involved. And, and then I just sort of naturally transitioned and combined these two interests where we are now looking at different uh, genetic species, mRNA in particular, and how it reacts or how it um, interacts with um, cancer cells and so forth, and how the cancer cells actually can put out specific uh, types of mRNA that, uh, that classify the, them as a cancer and can be detected, and the exact same technologies can be used for the, uh, to determine what the biome of the eye is, the microbiome of the eye. And so that's sort of how I got into this. It's kind of a backward way, but very interesting. I have so many directions I want to go with this, uh, just with your opening comments, but I think maybe we should step back and maybe you could tell us what exactly the ocular biome is. Is it the same as the gut biome, same bacteria? What, what is it? There's a lot of similarities, obviously, between the biome in the gut and the biome in the eye, but there are vastly you know, lower and smaller numbers of um, micro, microbes uh, bacteria, parasites, viruses that um, uh, sort of flush around our eyes. And so the differences are, there's some similarities. In fact, the skin on your eyelid and the skin on your, your face is much more similar to the bacteria, or the bacteria on your skin, the bacteria in your face is much more similar to the bacteria in your eye than what's in your gut. Um, but they're all, you know, some basically related in some fashion. There's obviously a huge number of bacteria uh, in relation to what you find on your eye. In fact, there's, they, they talk about this concept of posse bacteria in your, in your eye, meaning there's just a very small number of bacteria that exist. But there, is, there does seem to be a core microbiome in, your, in and around your eye, uh, just like there is one in your gut. And what's fascinating about that is that you know, your eye is supposed to be immunologically and it's supposed to be sterile. It's supposed to be a sterile environment. And we know that's definitely not true. So we know now that not only does bacteria live very happily and interacts very peacefully in many cases with your eye ocular structures, uh, that's not always the case. And, um, you know, for years we've been using sort of antibiotics and different cleansing techniques to clean people's eyes before uh, surgery and so forth, um, and it turns out that um, in spite, despite doing that sort of 
uh, prep work before surgery, we still see very serious infections in the eye after surgery, uh, which we think is directly related to particular species of bacteria that exist either in your lashes or in your conjunctiva. But what's, but uh, as I was mentioning, it's very fascinating because the numbers are very low, yet there still seems to be a core um, uh, bacterial environment that exists on the eye. And so it's, it, uh, and one of the challenges is that your eye is designed to flush away the bacteria, just like you mentioned. We blink very often during uh, every moment of our life. And every time you blink, you're actually flushing tears and lipids and proteins in and around your eye into your nose, it turns out. And it goes through these little ducts called the cannulicular openings that are right at the corners of your of your nose, right at the corner of your eye that goes into your nose. And basically, your, your eye is constantly trying to flush and keep this uh, a homeostasis of bacteria and, and uh, um, other debris out of the eye and keep it in a very, you know, good state. But the reality is that that doesn't always happen. In a, in a past show, I, I have no idea which one it was, we talked about the actual formation, the actual um, components of tears and how different tears that we cry for different reasons actually have different chemical makeups. And does, so what, what, you know, what's coming out of what you're saying is that uh, beginning you were talking about stress and diet. So even when we cry, we may be upsetting the microbiome or reinforcing it. Uh, if you want to flip it the other way, you know, if you're crying for stressful reasons, you've had an upsetting incident. Can that upset the microbiome of your eye? I'm sure it has some interaction. We're really early in this research, uh, not just uh, what I'm doing. I'm really, in some respects, a newbie to this area uh, because of how I got into this. And there, are, there have been a lot of studies over the past 10, 15 years looking at um, the microbiome. Part, part of the difficulty uh, of the eye in particular, but part of the difficulty getting back to just the techniques, and I'll re- go back to your question in a second, is that you have a lot of bacteria, um, but it's very hard to detect it. We've been um, struggling with that, basically, and that is what my interest is. turns out it's a microanalytical chemistry uh, detection problem. And so to be able to make certain conclusions, like, for instance, like, does the tear do different tears, like when you're crying or when you're happy, or, or is it like when you're outside and the air blows and the tears come out? Are those different tears, you know, interacting and changing the microbiome? And presumption is probably, and I would be hard-pressed to believe that, that it, it doesn't uh, affect it. But the real challenge, and this is really an area that does come down to physical chemistry, surface science, analytical techniques, is being able to detect it and detect the different changes that occur in a dynamic uh, way. So the answer is it's a very, it's an extremely fascinating question. We know that, that, we, that it, there will be some interactions, and we just don't know how to uh, quantify it at this point. Do you, are you to the point where you are able to tell if there is a connection between the gut microbiome and its influence on the eye? I'm assuming that would be the bigger player because you're saying there's not much bacteria in the eye? Well, the answer is that, well, going back, there, there, I, we think that there's probably a, a very important uh, component of the microflora or the microbiome in your eye that does pro- that does interact with the tissues in the eye and does cause disease, but we know that there is a a very 
significant correlation between the microbiome in your gut and eye disease. And this has been uh, actually kind of known for many years. I mean, even when I was training in ophthalmology at Stanford many years ago, uh, we all knew that there was a huge connection between, let's say, ulcerative colitis or uh, Crohn's disease and, and uveitis, which is an inflammation, a very serious inflammation in the eye. So we've, that's been sort of common knowledge uh, for, for, for ophthalmologists for years. But, but you know, now that the uh, interest in the microbiome uh, especially of the guys, become so um, prevalent these days. Now they're starting to look at it in a much more uh, scientific and accurate way. But the reality is that we know that there are certain uh, bacteria uh, that seems to induce uh, basically these proteins, these heat shock proteins. Now you're getting into some hardcore microbiology and immunology. But there are basically these, these we think that there's bacteria in your gut that causes that you know basically cause um, have these certain proteins that cross react with our own immune system, and then these autoantibodies that are induced from the inflammation or from these these uh, bacterial uh, antigens, these autoantibodies then cross react and actually cause um, you know basically attack our own eye. So it's it's a very fascinating connection between bacteria and types of bacteria in your gut and inflammation in the eye, whether it be dry eye disease, uveitis, which we've known for a long time. But even more exciting, there was recently a Nature paper uh, that just came out, I mean, literally a month or two ago. And this Nature paper basically made a very strong argument that uh, glaucoma may in fact be related to the microflora in your gut. Fascinating. So are are we considering, uh, okay, I want to take a step back here. Okay, let's go this way. Are we considering then then glaucoma to be an autoimmune disease? That is such an interesting question, and we're we're beginning to think it very may well be. Okay, we know that like a lot of the neurodegenerative diseases, like Parkinson's, like Alzheimer's, we think that there's a huge. Obviously, this is not my area of expertise, but we think that there's a a large inflammatory and possibly an um, uh, autoimmune component to it. And glaucoma is just another neurodegenerative disease. It's not just because you have glaucoma doesn't mean you're going to get Alzheimer's or that you're going to have uh, Parkinson's, but it's in the continuum of a neurodegenerative disease. So we do think that there's an autoimmune component, and it may be the, 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 the key to really understanding how to, to treat it. Now, and, and the fact that glaucoma onset is later in life would fit into the pattern of an increase of autoimmune disease as we get older. Now, um, when we talked before our show, you said a lot of people don't know the difference between, say, cataracts and glaucoma. So let's just take a second there and, and tell everybody what glaucoma is. That's right. We're, you know, and we're going to be taking lots of steps back because it's, for such a small part of your body, right, there's, it's just such a rich and, and incredibly interesting area, which is why I love ophthalmology. But um, you know, stepping it back, basically, your eye can, you can think of your eye as a camera. Um, and there's a lens in the front of the eye, a cornea, which actually covers the eye. It's, it's a type of lens. And then behind the cornea and behind your iris is, is a lens that actually the, both the cornea and your lens, your human lens, focus the light onto your retina. And then your retina takes that information and transforms it in a very magical way and then transmits it through the optic nerve to your brain. So cataracts and cataract 
you know, what you, getting, you know, basically causing a, um, a decrease in vision is because that front lens uh, that's in your eye becomes cloudy, and that's what a cataract is. Now, glaucoma goes to the back of the eye, which is where I mentioned that the retina transmits the information to the optic nerve, and that goes to your brain. Glaucoma is where the optic nerve becomes damaged. So it's actually the coax cable or the electrical cable that goes from your eye to your brain. And glaucoma is where the optic nerve actually dies. People always talk about high pressure, right? Everybody thinks glaucoma is pressure-related. Well, it may turn out that, that pressure is just a, a marker for an autoimmune disease of the optic nerve, which is glaucoma. So that's a completely interesting paradigm shift in how we're thinking about glaucoma today. Is it the sheathing on the optic nerve that gets destroyed? The optic nerve is really uh, consists of about 1.2 million axons, which are neurons, the uh, extensions. And so, what what the uh, when the optic nerve dies, or when you get glaucoma, it's actually the nerve cells that die one by one, and it dies in a slightly quicker rate than our normal loss of nerve tissue. So it's not the outside of the nerve. It's really the, the nerve, which is basically a bunch of little fibers. And these little microfibers die off. Um, actually, unfortunately, they die off as we live. I mean, we lose a certain number of those fibers every day of our life. Um, and really, glaucoma really is an accelerated loss of those nerve fibers. Okay. I think we've got to take a quick break here. When we come back, what I want to talk about are common things that may we may be doing um, with and for and against our eyes that may be leading um, to problems. And I really wanted to talk about, uh, when we come back, what you can see when you look into somebody's eye, what you may be able to diagnose. So we will be back in a couple of minutes, everybody. Broken sky, traced out by the city lights. My world's from a mile high. Best seat in the house tonight. Touchdown in the cold black top. Hold on for the sudden stop. Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 Step out on a busy street See a girl in our eyes meet Does her best to smile at me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to her right Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity 
Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are here talking with Dr. Fishman about the ocular biome. And Dr. Fishman, so we can establish and we can say at this point, even though it's a new field, that there is an ocular biome. Um, and then there's the launching point. Now, can we, can we tell if our, I don't know if you can use the word dysbiosis of the eye, but how can we tell if our eye health, as far as the microbiome or, or as far as the ocular biome is concerned, how can we tell if we have an unhealthy biome? Um, absolutely great point in terms of that, you know, I just want to reiterate that we do think there's a microbiome. Um, Basically, your eye, you can think of your body as a biosensor for disease, uh, for, for inflammation. I mean, your, and your eye is really interesting in the sense that when, if your eye is red, if your eye is irritated, I mean, just sort of the basic common sense sorts of things, if you have a red irritated eye or if the eyelids are red um, or if you tear a lot, that's a pretty good indication that there may be uh, a dysbiosis either of your gut or of your eye. And the answer is that a lot of, one of the most common causes of dry eye disease is a um, dysregulation of the inflammation on your eyelid margin and in around your eye. And so if, you know, just really common sense, if, you're, if you have uh, discomfort of your eye, if you have discomfort of your eyelid, if you have a lot of tearing, burning, and, and uh, those sorts of um, symptoms, then there's a pretty good chance that you have a dysbiosis. 
Okay, so someone has an itchy eye or allergy season comes, the first thing that we might do is put something in our eye. Is that the right way to approach it? That's right. I mean, sort of when you have different... Um, when you have different uh, symptoms, you know, the most common, absolutely the most common relief is just to flush out the eye. And so there's probably some really interesting, you know, things that you're doing. You're probably flushing out antigens. You're certainly lubricating the surface. You may be uh, replenishing the tear film uh, with a, a healthier uh, artificial tear film at that point. Do so. You you were you're okay with putting something in your eye, or is it? I guess it all depends what you're putting in your eye. Yeah, I mean, basically, when you know, when we one of the first things that we do, obviously, and what people do is they just go out and grab artificial tears. Mm-hmm. And putting artificial your tears is a pretty benign thing that you can do. Uh, in general, we recommend. Uh, preservative-free tears, because the preservatives in tears can often cause an autoimmune reaction uh, that you can actually get a secondary inflammation just from, from eye drops. But uh, generally putting uh, tears in uh, is just sort of a first, you know, you know, step that you can, it's a, you know, sort of a home, men, home remedy step. And the reality is that, you know, even ophthalmologists, optometrists will tell people just use tears more. But that really is just scratching the surface of how to, how to, how to treat your eyes uh, when you have these sorts of itchiness or inflammation. Now, what about contact lenses? I mean, I wear contact lenses not as much as I used to because I find that they do bother my eyes, but many, many people do wear contact lenses. Mm-hmm. Are you... Um, shying away from that now or is there a safe way to use them and implement them? Hey, that's a really good question. That's a loaded question. Um, obviously, contact lenses are uh, really helpful for a lot of people. The types of contact lenses vary between one-day contact lenses uh, where you just toss them, two-week contact lenses where you keep them for two weeks. Sometimes they're even one- monthly ones. Um, as an ophthalmologist, I generally recommend people to use the throwaway contact lenses, uh, mainly because the types of bacteria that uh, when we see corneal infections, and so that's an interesting, very well-studied area, that when you see corneal infections because of contact lenses, what happens is often the contact lens, which sits on the surface, actually causes the cornea to become um, ischemic, meaning that the cells on the surface of the cornea are not getting enough oxygen, and they break down. And then now you have a little area that where the corneal cells on the surface, which are normally supposed to protect the cornea itself, now there's an opening that bacteria can get into. So when you wear contact lenses, you're absolutely harboring all sorts of bacteria in and around the contact lens. And then what can happen is that the contact lens, uh, the bacteria then can go in and cause a very serious corneal infection um, uh, that can you know, really be devastating in some cases. But the most important thing to understand is that, or that what we found is that the type of bacteria that live in the longer contact lens users, like if you wear a two-week contact lens or one month, that bacteria seems to be much more virulent than if you wear a, a throwaway contact lens. Okay, so throwaway, like weekly ones? I know they have daily, weekly, monthly. Yeah, daily ones are the ones that seem to have the lowest, at least according to the literature, the lowest uh, virulence. Um, but what's interesting, and this is important to understand, is that, that regardless of whether you're aware, one day or two week or a monthly, the rate of infection seems to be the same. The difference is that the type of bacteria that live in and around the cornea and on the cornea and on the contact lens 
uh, can differ dramatically depending on whether, you know, also on your cleaning hygiene and how you do things. But again, it gets right back to what we were talking about, which is that the, the microbiome of the, of the eye very much affects, in this case, just, you know, the chances of getting a serious eye infection. Is the microbiome of the eye a reflection of the gut microbiome, or are they, is it totally different uh, bacteria that we're talking about and parasites and, I'm assuming, yeast, fungus, the whole, the whole gamut? Oh, the whole gamut. Uh, there are all sorts of different you know, organisms found on the eye and, and around the eye. Um, we, as I mentioned earlier, I think that we think that the, the eye more, the microbiome of the eye more reflects the, micro, you know, the, 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 the microbial diversity of the skin. Because okay. obviously you're, but what's interesting, and in fact, what's really interesting is people who have contact lenses have a very, who are contact lenses have a very, very different microbiome than those who don't, as you can imagine, because mm-hmm. you're constantly touching your eye. And so the skin in and around your eye actually um, influences it. Now your gut, we do, and there are some similar bacterias that live uh, obviously in your gut that also uh, get transferred into your eye. We actually think that there's this connection between uh, basically the microbiome, the bacteria in your gut, that which lives on your skin and then in your eye. And you can actually, I mean, the, the thing that it was, is really fascinating, if you do video of people, you watch them all day, we actually touch our eyes more than you'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And so the microbiology community, I mean, we have a, a thin layer of microbial um, <laughs> microbial diversity from your from your gut on every surface on the planet and so the more and so obviously what comes out of you will eventually and potentially can get into your eyes okay now what about things like um makeup around the eye fake eyelashes mascara i mean these are all things that women do um, often on a daily basis are we harming our eyes you know, that's such a great question, and um, this is where I can pretty much lose every one of my patients because I'll tell them, you know, <laughs> makeup and so forth is not a good thing. Um, the, the reality is that for many people, makeup and eyeliners and all the things that, that are, go on actually are, you know, for most people work pretty well. But people who have dry eye disease, they can be an absolute disaster. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the makeup that you put on your eyelashes essentially is a culture media for bacteria, parasites, and other things. And so like you mentioned earlier in the show about the fact that your eyelashes are there to help protect, you know, protect your eyes and the blink and the lids. And that's absolutely true. But at the same time, when you put artificial uh, substances on your, on your eyelashes, that can actually harbor bad bacteria. And one of the areas uh, that I'm absolutely fascinated by is this uh, parasite called uh, Demodex or Demodex, which uh, which has been linked to rosacea on the face and absolutely linked to rosacea, uh, ocular rosacea. So just the same kind of redness and and kind of rosy cheeks and micro blood vessels that exist um, in and around your face. Sorry about that. That's okay. uh, the uh, those um, those sorts of things actually can cause um, the same kind of symptoms on your lashes and your eyelids. And so um, what's very interesting is that, that, there's, that we think that that parasite lives in your eyelashes. We know they do. And one of the things that I actually do in my office, I'm one of the few uh, ophthalmologists, I actually have a, 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 a high-powered microscope with a video imager, and I actually will pluck people's eyelashes 
or what I like to call an eyelashectomy. <laughs> and I, I pluck out the eyelashes, and then what I do is I put them under the microscope, and I look for demodex. Because often, this parasite, which, by the way, is, it lives in everybody, so it's not like you know some people have demodex and some people don't. I think almost everybody has a small amount of demodex, but other people have larger, higher levels. And so in those patients who wear makeup and they have eyelashes, that demodex can get in those and live in those areas, and they eat in these little Demodex uh, parasites actually eat the oils that are produced, uh, they, and then and then when their population goes up, the Demodex actually or has this really weird mechanism of inflammation in the eye, where either they they actually eat bacteria themselves, they have their own digestive tract, and so what happens is they digest bacteria. Um, and then they actually puke up the bacteria, and some of these bacteria then form inflammatory uh, uh, cycles on the eye. It causes inflammation on the eye. And the other thing that happens is when the demodex dies, um, they release tons of bacteria. So you have these pooping uh, bacteria, these pooping parasites, and these dying parasites called demodex that live in and around your lashes that then inflame the eye and cause can cause very you know significant um, um, you know red eye blepharitis, which is inflammation of the lashes. And when you wear eye you know makeup and you wear these different artificial things, it can really be a problem. And so. You know, it's a tough problem because that's such a it's so ingrained in our culture, um, and um, it's it's a challenge. You have to pick out makeups that don't. You know, there are special types of um, you know makeup removers uh, that don't have alcohol, and and there's a whole bunch of different um, ways of minimizing it. In fact, there's a one of my colleagues uh, as part of this uh, group called the Dry Eye Divas, and they have a really neat. Um, uh, program where they talk about things like the top ten ocular surface beauty blunders, like eyelash, ta- you know, eyelid tattooing, eyelash extensions, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain ingredients in these uh, in these makeups that actually can be very toxic to the lid and the cornea, such as alcohol, retinol, parabens, and these are all just a bunch of chemicals that exist in these eye in, this, in the chemical in, in the uh, makeup. I mean, we could go on a long time talking about this. So I don't want to basically um, ruin your show by <laughs> obsessing about uh, about uh, makeup, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, you know, you you won't ruin our show for sure. But um, I do want to <laughs> I do want to ask because I'm a little um, confused. Might be the right word. Now, can can you predict or see disease throughout the body? by looking at the eye or is the eye more a reflection of a current disease? So what I'm trying to say is, can you look into somebody's eye and say you may be prone to, uh, I think Crohn's disease, you said there was a connection or is an unhealthy eye sort of, of um, a symptom of something else that's gone on? I see. No, that's great. Great question. So the answer is that we, we as ophthalmologists uh, and optometrists can definitely see all sorts of uh, by disease in just by looking at your eyes. Now, the surface of the eye, uh, in my area of interest, is in dry eye disease. And we see a ton of dysbiosis just by looking at the mybobian glands, which are these little glands that live on your eyelash or live in your lids. And when you have mybobian gland disease, that often means that there's a dietary issue. And again, this is early areas of research, but, you know, for instance, the, the type of diet you eat very much affects the oils that come out of your eyelids. And then, obviously, if you have um, inflammation in the eye, that can be related and very, you know, I've made diagnoses of 
Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis just by looking in somebody's eye and I ask them, you know, have you ever had a, you know, a, a colonoscopy or had, do you have any blood in your stools or do you have any GI issues? And, and then I, you know, the GI specialist says, how did you figure out that this person had Crohn's disease without looking, you know, doing a colonoscopy? I said, well, because, you know, uveitis is so intricately linked to, um, uh, to these different diseases. You know, we can see so many different uh, signs of disease and, and, and so, just backtracking a little bit, sometimes, so often it's, again, disease is such a, disease can, can manifest in so many different ways, and because it starts in the gut and then can cause eye inflammation, it's really not the eye that drives the gut in that case, it's the gut that's driving the inflammation in the eye. You know, we can see, obviously, things like diabetic retinopathy, um, which is you know, diabetes, we can easily see that, uh, signs of that in the eye. We can see cardiovascular disease. We can see uh, signs of um, autoimmune disease, uh, not just uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, but we can see evidence of rheumatoid arthritis. We can see evidence of lupus in the eyes. So the eye really is this amazing, uh, you know, object that, that really is, just shows so many aspects of disease if you're looking for them. And, um, you know, often what my job is, is, you know, I try to obviously fix and, and repair what I can do on the ocular front, but a lot of where I am in my practice is telling people, hey, you know, you need to, to uh, go to your GI specialist, or you need to look into the gut, or you need to get to a cardiologist. Another thing that's really fascinating is, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but sleep apnea can be identified by uh, looking at the eyes. And it turns out that we think that uh, there's this condition called floppy eyelid syndrome where your eyelid, gets, you get a lot of inflammation on your eye. It looks like a conjunctivitis. Everybody thinks they have an inflammation, but it actually turns out that probably it's because you're sleeping face forward on your pillow because you have apnea and you can't breathe at night. And so they actually, their eyelids actually flip up and it, it actually causes irritation on the eyelids. So we can actually diagnose sleep apnea. Really? By looking at the eye. I mean, that's how amazing the, uh, the ocular, uh, you know, surface is, uh, the ocular um, exam. Well, I know that I'm not in perfect health, and I've never had an eye doctor appointment that's even touched any of these subjects. So I don't know if this is coming <laughs> down the pike, but it's very, You need very to come out to California. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I've never, n- never have anyone. And I've, um, I've had uh, breast cancer. Never. I mean, I go mm-hmm. for my eye doctor's appointment every two years. Nothing ever has come up. And my husband has colitis. You know, it's, it's, I don't, maybe we're just not at that point here. Maybe you're unique in your field. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. Now, what can we do then, you know, now that we know we have the biome, we know, um, you know, we know about gut health and everything. What can we do to, to make our eye, our ocular biome healthy? I think going back to just general good hygiene, I mean, you know, from the, so you could think of it as like, what can you do on the eye particularly, and then how do you treat the gut that then makes the eye better? So just from the basic standpoint of, of eyelid hygiene, obviously making sure that if you have, if you're prone to getting like styes, for instance, that you're keeping up a good amount of, um, you know, like using like over-the-counter ocular lid scrubs, eyelid scrubs, where you can kind of, you know, get some of the debris out of your eye where you're kind of debriding the eye, uh, debriding it from bacteria. Um, you know, basically wearing sunglasses because we have skin cancers that live in and around the eyelid margin. You can't put sunscreen on your eyelids. Um, there may be some interest in 
there, there's a lot of controversy in terms of different sunglass tints that you can use that seem to help certain types of eye diseases or, or prevent eye diseases. The other thing that you can do, which we know, is that um, and from a dietary standpoint, it turns out that spinach is one of the most important foods that you can eat for your eyes. It actually has these uh, molecules called lutein and zeaxanthin, which you may have talked about in previous shows. But these are molecules, these are pigments that, and that actually can only be uh, absorbed, uh, can only be produced and only go into the eye uh, through diet. And you actually initially get these pigments from your mother uh, during uh, breast uh, feeding by breast milk and so forth, and then um, what happens is later in life you get them through your diet. And it turns out that that's an, these are incredibly important for um, preventing things like macular degeneration. We actually tell people to eat spinach pills, which is basically uh, another name for the age-related eye disease study two type pills or these so-called ARIDs formula. So, so eating lots of spinach can be very helpful. Um, obviously, you know, any of the recommendations that I give, you, you know, everybody needs to speak to their physician because, you know, anything can cause a, a weird reactions like, you know, spinach actually can increase your INR. So if you're on Coumadin or, 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 or Warfarin, it can change that. So obviously every recommendation has to be, you know, couched in a language that makes sure you check with your doctor. But, you know, spinach is really, really uh, very helpful. It turns out we think that um, nitric oxide, uh, which is produced in cells, is actually important for uh, preventing glaucoma. Um, it actually improves blood supply to the optic nerve, and we found uh, there's a paper that came out recently which showed that oranges uh, produce a lot of uh, intracellular nitric oxide production, beets as well. So, there, you know, so a healthy diet is incredibly important for eye health. Keeping the eyelid margin and the eye well lubricated is super important. Um, it, you know, I, I can't underemphasize uh, the importance of eye protection. I mean, that's not you know, that's just sort of common sense, but it's amazing how if you're working on uh, some sort of, a, you know, you're doing some kind of metal work, it's amazing how quickly a little piece of metal can, can penetrate into the eye and cause all sorts of uh, problems. So obviously eye protection is incredibly important. Um, and then, you know, it turns out sleep is really a big deal. If you have sleep apnea or you're prone to sleep apnea, get it checked, get it fixed, because that We've, we've linked the many diseases in the eyes to sleep apnea, not only glaucoma, uh, sorry, and floppy eyelid syndrome, which is external stuff, but you also, there's some suggestions that glaucoma has association with, with, sleep, with sleep apnea. Optic nerve disease, where you can get a stroke to the optic nerve, is associated with uh, sleep apnea. So that, those are some, I mean, those are a lot of things you can work on that you don't require a doctor's, you know, mm-hmm. intervention, just, you know, sort of, Everyday, everyday things. Great, great, great tips. Great tips. Now we are um, again approaching our hour. All these fascinating conversations. The time just flies. But I'd like to pass along your social media platform so that people can get in contact with you or read more about what you're doing because it really is uh, very forward thinking. So your website is www.fishmanvision.com, and you can follow Dr. Fishman on Twitter at Dr. Fishman. No period in there. So it's just Dr. Fishman uh, on Twitter. Any other social media sites that we should be, know about? That's it for now. Perfect. Okay, <laughs> you know what? Keep it simple. Very good. Dr. Fishman, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating conversation. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.